I too would like to extend Christian greetings to all of you this evening and greet you in that precious name of Jesus. It is a blessing to be here. Is it okay if I move this mic away from me? Is that all right? Okay. We're glad to be here and glad to be here with my wife, Karen. As Brother Terrell said, well, first of all, let me say this. I appreciated the selection of songs. One of my favorite songs is Lord, I'm Fondly Earnestly, and I appreciate that. And I appreciated the passage from Thessalonians there. And that's my desire that this week the word of the Lord could have free course in my life, first of all, and in yours also. We are from Traverse City, Traverse Bay Mennonite Church, as Brother said. I live in Kingsley, which is about 12 miles south. And I have a question this evening. Is this Florida? <laughs> Today it is, okay. We traveled south, and it feels like Florida. And even though we're only about four, four hours north of you, uh, we are probably a month behind weather-wise. And so this is nice. It's good to be here. Well, this morning I woke up, and... I'll introduce my family a little bit. I woke up and I sensed my wife was awake. I said, honey, are you ready to go? And she just popped off with this. She said, whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. And your people will be my people. And I thought, we better go. <laughs> she has a good help meet. And if you get to meet her, she's an amazing woman. We have three children. Travis is the oldest, and he is married to Emily. She was a sleigh ball. And they have five little girls. And he's part of our ministry team there at Traverse Bay. Jamie is our second one, our daughter, and she's married to Kendall Schrock, and they have two boys and one girl. And Tyler is our youngest, and some of you probably remember four, just over four years ago, he was killed in an accident as a 25-year-old. And so we miss him dearly. And uh, it has been a journey, we will admit that, but we can still say God is good, and he does all things well. I do construction work, I'm a carpenter, and so that's kind of about all I have to say about myself. I would commend you all for having a week of revival meetings. I don't know how popular that is in some churches today, but I believe that it's right and it's good. As a brother said tonight, we all need to be revived because we all tend to turn a little stale and a little um, off color, and it's just good to be together as a congregation for a week and sent around the Word of God. And you know, the world around us does influence us, does impact us, and we know that there is turmoil, the world's a mess, United States of America is, is not in good shape, and friends, we are living in difficult times. But I also believe that we are living in exciting Bible times. I believe that. We are living, I like to say it this way, we're living on the trumpet side of the ascension. And so I get excited about that. The next sound we may hear may be the trumpet. We're living on that side. And I believe that, friends, if we have loved ones that are on the edge or not in, that we should get them in. We're living on the trumpet side of the ascension. Now I realize tonight that, that I'm a stranger here. I understand that. I, I knew Terrell uh, a little bit, and I know Randy Fletcher and his family, and that is about it. I, Kevin Martin, I know I've met a time or two. And so I realize tonight that I'm a stranger here, 
and that there's a lot of differences between us. I understand that tonight. And, you know, I could walk back through here and, and we, could, we could magnify what some of those differences are. Some of these young guys are probably saying, where in the world did Terrell get an old man like this? <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of difference between us, right? Because I'm old compared to you are. And I see people here that I'm sure have had a lot of different experiences than what I have. Our culture is different. I can tell already by being here only a short time that our culture is a lot different, even though we're four hours north. And our churches are different. Our experiences have been different. But friends, tonight, there's one place that we can stand, that we all have common ground, and that is this. Every one of us here tonight needs more of Jesus in our life, right? And so we stand on common ground. We all need more of Jesus in our life. And you know what I call a week of a successful week of revival meetings is simply this. If every night we can get a little bit more of Jesus in our heart, that would be a successful week. A little bit less of me, a little bit more of Jesus. And I trust that that can be our experience, that our faith can grow a little bit every night. Having said that, I would like to move on to the message this evening. It is about faith. I've entitled the message Faith 2. So faith and then the little word to, T-O, and then behind that, if I had a whiteboard up here, I got a big whiteboard, but I have no marker, but if I had a whiteboard, I would write it up here so maybe you could see it better, but faith to dot, 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 so that's an incomplete sentence. And so as I go along tonight, I want to finish that sentence, faith to. I've got four text verses I'd like to share with you tonight. The first two are Old Testament in the book of Habakkuk. If you want to turn to that book, not something we would turn to a lot, but the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2. Two verses here, and then I've got two verses in the New Testament that I would like to use to get us started. Now we have here in the book of Habakkuk, the prophet, and I can't say that I know a lot about this man, but he was a prophet of God. And he seems to have a heart that's in turmoil because there's an enemy approaching, and they are a, a wicked people, and he's crying out to God, God, don't you understand these people that are coming to destroy this? They're wicked, they're sinners, they're heathens. Now what are we going to do? And then Habakkuk does acknowledge, I believe, as you go through the book, that his own people are not doing so well spiritually. And he cries out to God, what is the message that you have for us, God, in this situation? In chapter 2, and he says, okay, he says, here's what I'll do. I'll stand upon my watch, and I will set me upon the tower, and will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. And then come to verse 2, and this is one of my text verses. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. Now this is one of these verses, Brother Terrell. I probably read this verse 50 times and it didn't mean a thing to me. And then you read it one day and all at once something jumps out at you. You know what I'm saying? This is one of these verses to me. This is what he is saying. The Lord answered him and said, Okay, he said, I want you to write the vision and I want you to make it plain upon the tables, probably stones, that he may run that readeth. In other words, it's going to be a plain, simple message. And I want you to write it 
in big letters so whoever is r running can read it. That's what he's saying. So that, so that he may run that readeth it. Read it on the run. Whether the guy is carrying it, he can read it on the run, or the people that he's passing up, they can see it on the run. A plain, simple message. It's like a billboard, friends. We all know what a billboard is. You'd be driving down the road, 70 mile an hour, and a billboard, and you can read it easily because it's there, it's plain, it's simple. You know exactly what it says. McDonald's, or it says Bob Evans, or Cracker Barrel, or Menards, save big money at Menards. You can see it, it's like a billboard message. Read it on the run, that's what he said. Plain and simple, read it on the run. Then here's what the message is in verse four. Behold his soul, which is lifted up, is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. There's the message, friends. The just shall live by his faith. Now, there are a lot of people today that ascribe to faith. They say we are people of faith. Oh, yes, we go to a church of faith, and they'll sign their name for something for faith. My friends, tonight, the Bible says that the just shall live by his faith. There are many people that start out in faith. But my friends, you've got to do more than start. You've got to live by your faith. And so faith needs to be a daily occurrence. The just shall live by his faith. I would invite you to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Paul here is quoting Habakkuk chapter 2. says the same words. But let's see what he says there in verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because to him that believeth it is salvation, the power of God to take a sinner and change that black, old, sinful, yucky heart into something beautiful, new, clean, and fresh, and right. The power of God till salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 17, for therein, in other words, in that gospel of Jesus Christ, God reveals righteousness. Or God reveals how to stand right before God. And friends, tonight, there's nothing more important in life than to be in right standing before God. I know there's a lot of other things that are important, but they all pale in comparison to this very thing that someday I'm going to stand before God Almighty and there's going to be nothing between me and God. And to stand there in right standing before God, that should be the goal of every one of us here tonight. That's a beautiful place to be, right standing with God. And friends, that right standing with God comes by faith. That's how you get there justified by faith. And he says here in verse 17, Paul says this way, from faith to faith. And I like that phrase. Friends, tonight it takes 
faith to get saved. It takes faith to believe that God is. It takes faith to believe that John 3.16 is true and Romans 10 chapter 9 is true. If thou shalt confess with my, thy mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and shalt believe in thy heart, that's faith, then you'll be saved. So it takes faith to get saved and it takes faith to stay saved. From faith to faith, Paul says. Faith from the start to the finish. And so the billboard vision, the billboard message that I want us to get tonight is this, the just shall live by his faith. Some people live by the paycheck or by the money in the bank or by some position that you can get in this temporary world or some power or so by the, the thrills and frills of a temporary world. Or some people live by church standards, I guess, and mom and dad's rules. But some people live by his or her faith in God Almighty. To live by faith, friends. It's not something that's hereditary. It's not something that comes out of our culture. It's not something that comes through the genes. But friends, it is a choice to live by faith. And tonight in this message, I'd like to focus in on some practical aspects of living by faith. You turn with me now to Romans chapter 8. To the end of the chapter. So my first point tonight is this. Faith to, remember we're going faith to, and so faith to carry on. Faith to carry on in difficult times. Now I know there's a new, rather popular song out. It's about God will give you faith to carry on. And that's been a very meaningful song to Karen and me. But we all have difficult times, and I know that this evening. And we all have a story to tell. But tonight I want to challenge us to have a faith to carry on. In Romans chapter 8, verse 35, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now Paul asks this question, what, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? In other words, he's challenging us, do we have a faith that will carry on through difficult times, and he talks about persecution. Well, first of all, he talks about tribulation and distress, difficult times. We've all had difficult times, especially in the last couple years. Do we have a faith that is carrying us through? Then he talks about persecution. Oh, friends, you know, persecution is always somewhere else, isn't it? But what if it was here? Do we have a faith to carry us on, a faith to carry on? 
And I don't like to scare people, and I don't like to be a doomsday preacher, but, you know, as I have watched this war unfold, for one example, how fast things can happen and how fast things can change, you know, persecution should not be that far back in our mind. It could happen, friends, and we need to know where we stand. Do we have a faith that will carry us through? What would separate us from our faith? Or maybe we should ask the question, how little would it take to separate us from our faith? How little would it take for me to backslide? How little would it take for me to get lukewarm? Or how little would it take for me to get complacent? Hmm. Well, Paul comes back, and I could just, I, I don't know how Paul preached and how he talked, but he said, nay, and if I, I have a feeling that if he would have been verbalizing this, he said, no way. I am not going to have a faith that fails. I am not going to be faithless. I am not going to cave in. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to be separated from my faith. No way. In fact, he said, but we are more than conquerors. More than conquerors. How can you be? The word conquer means victorious. Victory. Yes, we want to win the battle. We want to be victorious. Defeat the enemy. How can we be more than victorious? If you win a ball game, you win a ball game, right? How can you do more than win the ball game? How can you do more than be victorious? More than conquerors. Well, I thought about that a lot, and I don't know if I have a good illustration or not. I know what I mean in my heart, but I don't know how it will come across. But this is Monday night. And let's say that Saturday and Sunday, let's just, I'm making something up. Let's say that I fought a tremendous spiritual battle. I mean, it was brutal, intense, exhausting. The devil was hammering on me, but I won. I won that thing. So I come to church tonight here in Indiana, and I'm all beat up from that battle, spiritually speaking, and I've got a black eye, and I've got 15 stitches in my forehead, and I've got my arm in a cast, and... Uh, in a cast, and I'm walking on crutches, and I am just frazzled down to the end. But I was victorious. Now, spiritually speaking, would I be in position to be preaching here this week, or am I ready to fight another battle? The answer is no. Paul says we must be more than victorious, more than conquerors. And again, I go back to this phrase he uses, from faith to faith, the just shall live by faith. And so by faith, this is what I I think Paul is saying, the way I understand it. By faith, we come out of the last battle stronger than we were before. By faith. You see, faith builds faith. When we have a little bit of faith and we exercise that faith, then it builds faith. And so we come out of that last battle stronger because we have built more spiritual conviction in our life. We've got more discipline in our life. Uh, we've got more spiritual strength. We develop more character. More than conquerors. Friends, that's a faith to carry on because it's a faith that is growing. 
more than conquerors. You can turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And verse 6, But without faith it is impossible to please God, to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek them, seek him. It says here that God rewards faith. That word reward, I think, has the idea of pays wages. God honors faith. And so when we have faith in God and we exercise that faith, God honors that faith and that faith grows. And we have a faith that will carry on through the difficult times in life. And I like to give a few examples here and it just falls right into place. The next verse, verse 7, says, By faith Noah. Now what did Noah do? Anybody, this is not a trick question. What did Noah do? He built an ark. How big was that ark? Does anybody know? It was very big, that's right. Something like 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Noah built an ark by faith. Did that project make any sense? It didn't make any sense, Randy. I was building it on dry ground. There was no water. It made no sense at all. How did Noah carry on for 100 years? How could he for 100 years get up every morning, go out, grab a saw, and a hammer and keep building that ark for a hundred years on dry land. It was faith to carry on. Now, what was that first step of faith? Remember, I said that faith builds faith. It was the first step of faith when he went out to cut down that first tree? I like to think about it this way I got a really good imagination. I think maybe the first step of faith was that morning that Noah sat down with Mrs. Noah for coffee and a donut before he went out, and she said, Honey, what are you going to do today? He said, I'm going to build an ark. What? What did you say? I'm going to build an ark. Why are you going to build an ark? God told me to. Okay, Noah, honey, how big is this thing? 450. What? 450 feet, you've got to be kidding. There's no water here. No, what are you thinking? Have you had a bad night? Are, are, you, are you remembering a, a nightmare? What's going on here? He said, no, God told me to build an ark. Maybe that was the first step of faith. But maybe the first step of faith was when he went out to cut down that first tree. Oh, they needed many trees. And maybe he dreaded it. Like, how am I ever going to start this thing? And his faith was probably a little bit weak, but he went out. I'm using my imagination. And him and his sons cut down that first tree. That took an act of faith. And probably the people came by and they looked up at that tree and said, Wow, Noah, that's a big tree. That's going to make a lot of cooking firewood. Wow. What are you thinking? He said, I'm building an ark. An ark. That took faith, friends. 
But faith builds faith. And then he went out the next day and cut down another tree. And the third day, another tree. And it got easier and easier and easier. In a hundred years, he carried on from faith to faith. By faith, he built an ark. You go down to the next verse, by faith, Abraham. God told Abraham, I'd like for you to move. I don't know where, you don't know where you're going, but you're going to move. He went to a strange country, didn't know where he was going to go. How did Abraham carry on? By faith. And again, it was probably maybe that first time he mentioned this to Sarah. He said, honey, we're moving. Oh, she said, okay, where are we going? He said, I don't know. And they packed their bags by faith. And that was probably hard, but they got those bags packed, and then they took one step forward, and they took another step forward, faith by faith, from faith to faith. And then you go over to verse 24, it says, by faith Moses. And it goes on to say all the things about Moses. By faith he refused the palace, he refused the position, he refused the riches, the power. By faith he knocked on Pharaoh's door. I think he was scared to death. I think his faith was a little bit weak. We know it was weak. In fact, he said, God, I need help. I can't talk. I, I am not a man of words. I can't talk. I don't even think I can knock on Pharaoh's door, and I'm using my imagination. But I believe his faith was a little weak, and God said, fine, I'll give you Aaron. And so they go, and they knock on Pharaoh's door, and they knock the second time and the third time. And if you read that story, it is very interesting. As the plagues go on, Noah, Moses' faith grew, and by the time you get to the end of the thing, He's knocking on the door himself, and he's doing the talking to himself, and he's stretching his rod out himself because his faith has grown. It's a beautiful example, powerful example, by faith, more than conquerors to carry on. The second point I would like to give tonight is faith to believe in a personal God. Now someone has said, and I quote, how is it that God is immense and personal at the same time? You know, it is difficult for us, I think, to grasp that God is so big and we can't really fathom how big he is and yet God cares about me. God cares about you. Children sitting here tonight, God cares about you. He's a personal God. And I like to think about it this way. You know, we think of the United States of America, and it's a big country, and it seems hopelessly out of control. It seems hopeless. You know what God's perspective of the United States of America is? It's this. Behold, the nations are as a drop in a bucket and are counted as small dust on a scale. Now, what is small dust on a scale? What is that? Anybody? What is small dust on a scale? Yeah, it doesn't even move it. Nothing. Both answers are right. It's like nothing. And God says the nations, the United States of America, it's like a drop of water in a bucket that we wouldn't even think about. It's like small dust on a scale that's like nothing. It doesn't move it at all. And that God, our God, he controls the great rolling Oceans of water, he controls the tsunamis that are powerful, and yet he says the United States of America is like a drop of water in a bucket. The same God is so big 
And yet he has a personal interest in you. And you need to have faith to believe that. Because, friends, it makes a difference in your life. And if you miss this tonight, if you don't get this point, you know, the rest about what I got to share about practical faith and living in faith doesn't apply if you do not believe that God has a personal interest in you. So to help you to reinforce your belief, I know you believe it, but to reinforce it, I'd like for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, verse 6. Jesus said, Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings, and not one of them is forgotten before God? But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are more value than many sparrows. Jesus is talking here, and he's talking about birds. How many of you folks tonight feed the birds at home? I don't see your hands. Oh, yeah, I got a lot of bird feeders here. How many of you, have, is the sparrow is your favorite bird at the feeder? Ooh. How many of you shoot? No, I won't ask that. You know what Jesus said? He said the sparrows, he said that back in Bible times, five of them, two pennies, the Amplified would say, two pennies. I, basically, they're worthless. Nobody wants them. They don't want them at their feeders. They don't want them around. And yet, he said, yet not one of them is forgotten by God. You know that? The Bible said, Jesus said, sparrows, we look at them, they're worthless. And yet, when one of them is having a bad day, God knows about it. That's what the Bible says. God knows about it. They're not forgotten about God, by God. And then he goes on to say in verse 7, you are so much more valuable to God than the sparrows are. He even knows the count of the hairs on your head. Yeah, that's what Jesus said. We're talking tonight about a personal God. You know, recently, Karen said to me, you know what, you're getting bald on the back of your head. I said, well, I didn't know that. I, I just, it's been many, many years since I took a mirror to a mirror and tried to see what the back of my head looks like. I just don't do that anymore. See, I don't need hair anymore to impress my wife, tell you the truth. But, I don't know that. And I just comb my hair like I always did. I just assume there's hair there. I can't see the back of my head. And you know what? I really don't care how many hair on the back of my head. But you know what? God knows something about me that I don't even really care about. And friends... That's precious to me. That God is a personal God. Now, I don't know people here, so I'm just going to point at some people. Middle-aged man in the light green shirt. Could you stand up? That's you. Yep, you stand up. And let's see. Young lady right here beside the lady in the orange. Can you say, yeah, you stand up. Mm -hmm. And an uh, older man up here, right here. I need you to stand up. Can you stand up? Would you stand up for me? Sure. 
Now, I don't know what your name is, but I want you to understand. I'm asking you this question. Do you understand that God knows how many hairs are on your head? Good. You can sit down. Young lady, do you understand that God knows how many hairs are on your head? Thank you. Make sure it's on. Older man, you're losing your hair like I am, but do you know that God knows how many hair are on your head? Thank you. You may sit down. Friends, tonight you have faith to believe in a personal God. God cares about your marriage. He cares about your family. He cares about your cell phone. He cares about the hurts in your life. He cares about the abuse that may have taken place in your life. He cares about your desires. He cares if you are lonely. He cares if you feel rejected. He's a personal God. It's important that you have faith and believe that. Our faith needs to be more than denominational faith. It needs to be more than um, conference faith, which you're not, you're, you're uh, non-affiliated, right? But it needs to be more than congregational faith. It needs to be a personal faith. He has created you to live in faith on a personal level because he is a personal God. My third point tonight, faith to give all. Faith to give all. I invite you to John chapter 6. We're going to read a story here. It's a true story. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were deceased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover and a feast of the Jews was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes, and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. This is a true account and I would like for you tonight to think about two objects that I brought with me. In that story, there was five barley loaves and two fishes. So I got two fishes here, or two fillets, and I got five 
loaves of bread. And I don't know what they looked like in, back in that Bible day, but this puts a picture in our mind of the five loaves and two fishes. And I would like for you to think about two people in this story. One was one of the disciples. It was Peter's brother, Andrew, it says here in verse 8. And the other person is not given a name, but the Bible calls him a lad. And so I don't know how old this young man was, but he was a lad. He was not, uh, probably not an adult man, something younger than that. And if you'll allow me tonight, I'd like to use my imagination. Uh, there's details of this story the Bible doesn't give us, but how do you think that Andrew and the lad got connected? I don't know. Is it possible that Andrew was thinking, and he was watching, and he was alert? And it says that they had went up into a mountain, and so they had climbed a mountain, and it says the disciples were with Jesus, and they sat down, and it sounds like they sat down, the disciples, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great company. And so maybe, we don't know, but all at once there's a whole bunch of people coming, following Jesus up the mountain. And Andrew probably saw this, I imagine. And there's a couple things that we know that aren't detailed in this account. If you read the Mark account and the Matthew account, you can pick up a few more details. But it was getting towards evening time. It was supper time. And there was no food there on the mountain. They didn't have a source to get the food. And so, middle of nowhere, and Andrew, maybe he was thinking and he was wondering... What is Jesus going to do with all the hungry people? Here they are. It's supper time. They don't have food. We cannot get food. And maybe Andrew is remembering that Jesus had been doing a lot of miracles. And if you read the chapter before, there was a miracle. And it says the people were following because they saw the miracles we did. And so Andrew obviously had been there when the miracles were done. And you know, this miracle thing was... It was probably pretty interesting, don't you think? Don't you think the disciples liked that, to watch these miracles? Of course they did. So maybe Andrew was thinking, huh, I wonder if Jesus would do another miracle somehow for food. So perhaps Andrew went looking for food. We don't know that. But somehow he found this lad, and this lad had food. His mom had packed him a nice lunch, we would say. He had five pieces of bread, and he had two pieces of fish. He had some food. Now, we can imagine a possible conversation. I don't know how things went, and I just like to let my imagination run. So maybe Andrew said to this lad, you know, something had to be said. He said, how about giving Jesus your lunch, your, your supper? Would you want to give Jesus your food? And maybe the lad said, well, <laughs> I'm hungry. Isn't that what you boys would say? I'm hungry. I mean, I was just sitting down. I was just getting ready to eat this, and my mom packed it for me. And, I, I was just, and Andrew, maybe Andrew said, well, don't you think you should give that to Jesus? Well, I don't know. You know what? He said, maybe he said like this. Maybe he said, I have an idea. Why don't we have, why don't I do this? Why don't I take this so we'd have two fish sandwiches? See, fish sandwiches have been around for a long time, haven't they? He said, I'll tell you what, we got two fish sandwiches, so why don't I keep one, 
Now, why don't we give one to Jesus, and I got one piece of bread left over, and that's for you, Andrew. Huh? How about that? And maybe Andrew said, ah, you know what? I understand. But wouldn't it be the right thing to do just to give it all to Jesus? And so maybe the lad, again, I'm using my imagination, maybe he considers, and he says, sure, let's go. So Andrew takes the lad up to Jesus, hands the plate, two sandwiches, another piece of bread, hands it to Jesus, and Jesus maybe says, thank you. We don't know what happened or what the conversation was. Then what if Jesus would have said, son, you know what? I want you to sit right here in the front row. Thank you. You sit right here in the front row, and I want you to watch what's going to happen with your five pieces of bread and two pieces of fish. Well, we know the story. The Bible says that Jesus took that plate of food, the five pieces of bread and the two pieces of fish, and he prayed to God in heaven. He blessed the food. And then the Bible says he just started handing it. Now, it's interesting. They had baskets. They had empty baskets. And so whatever food they had previously was gone. They were empty. They had empty baskets. So I imagine they put it in the baskets. And Jesus kept handing it out, handing it out. And they walked back through. And they, and they gave everybody all the food they wanted. And the Bible says they had all they wanted to eat. It was a buffet. All the fish sandwiches they wanted. Nobody went away hungry. Everybody had all they wanted. And the Bible says they still had 12 baskets left over. Can you believe that? Started with that tiny little plate for them, and everybody ate. And the Bible says, if you go to the other count, I think in Matthew, it says there was 5,000 men plus women and children. So it could have been 10,000 people. It could have been 15,000 people. We don't know. All ate buffet style. All they wanted. Twelve baskets left over. What did they do with the twelve baskets that were left over? We don't know. I like to think that he gave one of them to the lad. And when that lad got home that night, he walked in the house, and Mama was there, and she said, Did you eat your lunch, your supper? Uh, yes. Well, no. Yes, no. I, I'm not sure. Yes, I ate it. But no, it's still here. And what a story that lad had to say. You wouldn't believe it, Mom. You wouldn't believe it, Dad. What happened with my lunch? Friends, I don't know what that lad's faith was. But you know what? He had faith to give it all. Brothers and sisters tonight, God won't multiply what you don't give him. Do you have faith to give it all? That lad never became famous that I can read of. We don't read of him any other time in the scripture that I know of. But you know what? He impacted the world. He fed 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people. We don't know. And the Bible says, if you go to the next verse that we didn't read, that the men turned towards the truth. They saw the miracle and they believed the truth. He impacted the world because he gave all. Do we have a faith to give all. There's another account where Jesus was in the temple and he was observing the people going through and they were casting their coins into the, the, the offering basket or whatever it was. And they, the rich people were throwing in a bunch of money and this widow came along and she didn't have much and she threw in two coins, I think the Bible says. And Jesus called his disciples or whatever. He said, look, I want you to see this. Look what those rich people are doing. Look what this lady did. She only had two coins. 
but she gave everything she had. The widow didn't have much, but she gave it all. Friends, tonight, I don't think Jesus is saying that we need to give every dollar every Sunday morning in the offering. No, that's not what I'm saying tonight. But I think what he is saying, I think the lesson here is this. Are we willing to release to God to give all and let him multiply? Brothers and sisters, again, God will not multiply what we won't let go. Living in faith is very practical. Is there anything in your life tonight that you're hanging on to that you don't want to give to God? You know, friends, I believe that God wants to multiply our lives. Now, I was thinking about this today. But I think we hinder him because we have things that, I have things that I want. I have my goals. I have my desires. I have my rights. And we hang on to those things that we say are mine. And, and we have those goals and we're going to make them happen. And if I have to work the next 20 years, I'll make it happen. But I wonder how God would multiply our lives if we were willing to let go of what I want and what I think I need and what I desire. Friends, I know I'm Maybe I'm too practical, but I don't think so. But I like to give God my finances. I think we should just give them to God. Let him multiply them as he wills. Give God your cars and trucks. He can take care of them better than we can. Give God your relationships. Give God your path of life. Let him multiply it as he wills. Give God your gifts and abilities and disabilities and let him multiply it. Moses, the man that could not talk, said, I can't talk to people, it's not in me, I got a terrible tongue. By faith, he gave that miserable tongue to God and became one of the greatest leaders ever when he gave it to God. The just shall live by his faith, from faith to faith. Do we have faith to carry on? Do we have faith to believe in a personal God? Do we have faith to give all to God? Or are we hanging on to the fish sandwiches and the five loaves? Give it to God. Let him multiply it. I hope this week can be a week of our faith growing a little bit every night. And tonight, I'm going to just ask us, if you in your heart would like to have your faith grow this week, even every night, if God through his spirit would bring some to your heart that your faith could grow a little bit every night, I'm going to just ask us all to close our eyes, including myself, I'm not going to look. Let's close our eyes, and if tonight you want to just say to God, God, I want my faith to grow this week, and you want to raise your hand, God will see it. I'm not looking. Thank you, God, for our time together tonight. And only you know what happened here in the last few seconds, what our hearts look like. Well, I believe there's probably many people here tonight that desire for our faith to grow from faith to faith. Lord, we want to be more than conquerors. We want to have a faith that will carry on through the difficult times that are going to come.
We want to have faith to believe in you, God, that you care about me personally. And Lord, we want to have faith to give you our life so you can multiply it. God, would you direct our hearts this week? Would you impress upon me what to share? And then I just ask for your spirit to take your word to our hearts, to our needs, so that we can grow this week. Pray you would bless this congregation tonight for being here, for their good attention. Bless your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.